Turn with me in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 23, beginning to read with the fourth verse. Thou shalt not go up and down as a tail-bearer among thy people. That's from Leviticus 19.16. That's a wonderful verse. You find many wonderful verses, many wonderful things in this Old Testament book of Leviticus. We've been looking at as we've followed the Israelites on their pilgrimage from Egypt to the Promised Land. We see here the various instructions and commandments and amplifications of these that they were given by God. We find uh, <clears throat> here the origin of some of the highest ethics anywhere in the world. Uh, the ethical heights of the New Testament really are not surpassed. If you look, for instance, again in the 19th uh, chapter and in the 17th verse, Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. If he's doing sin, I have an obligation to speak to him about it, because I love him. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. In verse 18, you find some horrible things mentioned, unspeakable things almost, in the 18th chapter and the 22nd verse. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination, homosexuality. So a recent doctor's bulletin where they suggest to all doctors that now when people come for medical examinations prior to marriage that they check them in a number of places because of the prominence of homosexuality in our midst. The next verse, Neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thyself therewith, nor shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down thereto. It is confusion. Walk into buds in Mountain Brook and take a look at the design on the cufflinks. And you'll see that this commandment is very applicable to our own day. We want to today, though, turn from these divers laws, as they're called, and look at the 23rd chapter of Leviticus, which we read from the Feast of the Lord. These feasts, perhaps not well-named, translation of the Hebrew term Moadim, uh, would be better translated meetings or festivals, holy convocations. Uh, these <clears throat> holy convocations are listed in the whole round of the year's events, and the list is preceded by reference to the Sabbath. The Sabbath was an institution that was already uh, commanded and they were already observing. And the relationship between this 
holy day and these other holy days need to, needed to be clarified. And so in the 23rd chapter and in the uh, third verse, six days shall work be done, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest and holy convocation. Ye shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. This was a day of rest, but it was a day of rest unto Jehovah, not just a day of not being about their worldly occupations, but a day of being occupied with the things of God. And this was to promote godliness and true worship. The Sabbath was a day when they would gather and assemble and would be instructed in the law by the priests. And it was also a day which would be appropriate to use uh, for... Uh, portions of these other festivals that would be mentioned, since they were festivals of worship to the Lord. Having spelled out this relationship, he goes on then in verse 4 to begin to list these festivals or feasts of the Lord. Verse 4, These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in their seasons. And the first of these festivals or feasts is the Passover, and we've already looked at some of these in detail in their original setting. This is described in detail in Exodus chapter 12. It's in connection with their coming out of Egypt that this was first instituted, but it was made a perpetual observance. We read, And the fourteenth day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. That day, that month, was made the beginning of months to them, and it became the first month. On the fourteenth day, they were to offer a lamb. Every head of every household would take a lamb without blemish. And in the evening, it would be killed. In the late afternoon, it would be killed. And uh, then, starting that night, they would feast on the lamb. And uh, this was to be done each year. What was this all about? We see the manner of observance, but what was the meaning? Well, as we've said, it was commemorative in nature of their deliverance from Egypt. The birth of the nation as such, as a nation now, as they come out of Egypt, headed for the promised land. And the thing that actually delivered them was this Passover, when the angel of death went throughout the land of Egypt, Uh, They were saved from the judgment wrought by this angel through placing the Lamb's blood over their doorposts. It was commemorative of this great deliverance, but it was also predictive in nature as it was a picture ahead of time of the greater deliverance that God would bring about from bondage, through the Lord Jesus Christ. We remember that John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, on one occasion pointed to Jesus and he said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. There goes the Lamb. That is the true Lamb that will deliver us from the real bondage that every man is born in, the bondage of guilt, the bondage of sin, the power of it in his life. Uh, This is the true deliverance. 
that will set us on the road to the promised land of heaven. Of course, the lamb had to be without spot or blemish because Jesus would be without sin. None of its bones were to be broken because none of Jesus' bones would be broken. Uh, The lamb was to be slain in the evening of the 14th day because that's the very day of the very same month that Jesus would die in the evening 1,400 years later. Here we see the tremendous thing about these feasts. They were predictions of what God was going to do ahead of time, starting with this Passover. Uh, The Feast of Unleavened Bread is next, as we read in the sixth verse. And on the fifteenth day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread unto the Lord. Seven days ye must eat unleavened bread. This day, the 15th day, started at 6 o'clock on the 14th, in a sense. They started their day the evening before. And uh, they were to feast on the lamb, but as they did, they were to diligently search their houses with candles to find any leaven and put it out of their house, and they were to eat unleavened bread for seven days. Leaven is a symbol of evil, normally, in the Bible, and the... Uh, New Testament uses it in this way. In 1 Corinthians 5, we read, Purge out, therefore, the old leaven. Let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. In other words, once we have been delivered by Jesus Christ from the bondage and guilt of our sin. We are then to purge ourselves from our sin. We are to continually seek our lives, search our hearts, and put sin out of our lives. We mustn't try to reverse the order. We mustn't try to have the Feast of Unleavened Bread before the Passover. Don't try to clean your life up before you become a Christian. Nothing wrong with it. You just can't do it. Uh, I tried. I've seen many men try But commit your life to Jesus Christ. Trust in the Lamb. He will come to live in your heart. And He will give you the strength then to deal with the sin in your life. The next uh, feast that we encounter is the Feast of First Fruits or the Feast of Weeks. Uh, The meaning of this... uh, or the manner in which this is observed. The second day of this Feast of Unleavened Bread, they were to bring a sheaf of the first fruits of their harvest. And the priest would take this sheaf and wave it before the Lord. This is described in the 10th and 11th verses. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When ye come into the land which I give you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then shall ye bring a sheep of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. And he shall wave the sheep before the Lord to be accepted for you. This uh, sheep was to be waved on this second day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then seven weeks later, A second offering of the first fruits of the harvest was to be made. Verse 15, Ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath 
from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall ye number fifty days, and ye shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. Meal offering would convey better the meaning to us. Ye shall bring of your habitations two wave loaves, and these loaves of bread would be then waved before the Lord. They are the first fruits unto the Lord. What was the significance of this? God was picturing here, ahead of time, two of the greatest events that ever occurred in the history of the world, ever would occur. This first sheaf being waved took place on the third day after the Passover itself. What happened three days after the Lamb of God died? Jesus Christ rose from the dead and became the first fruits of them that slept, says the New Testament. It goes on to say that every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. His resurrection from the dead, the pledge, and the prediction of our own resurrection from the dead, when he comes back, if we belong to him. Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. That's the first sheaf that was waved. The second taking place 50 days later. 50 in the Greek is Pentecost. And 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a great thing happened in this world. The Holy Ghost was poured out on the disciples in a new, fuller way than had ever been in the world before. And he has been in the lives of believers in this much fuller way, much more operative way, much more powerful way ever since. So powerful that Peter stood up now, anointed with the power of the Spirit of God, preached, and 3,000 were reaped. A feast of harvest, as God has first fruits. The first of a great harvest. You're a part of the harvest. But they were the first fruits of that harvest that would be reaped. History written before, the very day that God would do these great events, spelled out before, pictured in such amazing ways ahead of time, as his people went through this cycle every year. Again, uh, the next feast that we encounter is the Feast of Trumpets in verse 24. Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, ye shall have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets and holy convocation. The seventh month was preeminently the holy month. Now, this was the month that the great Day of Atonement fell in. This was the month that the Feast of Tabernacles fell in. And on the first day of this great seventh month, this day was to be a holy day, no work, ushered in with the blowing of silver trumpets. What was the meaning of this? Trumpets in the scriptures symbolize the voice of God or the word of God. When God spoke from Sinai, first the trumpet sounded and then the voice of God. First the symbol, then the reality. Over in the book of Revelation, John hears the Lord's voice as that of a trumpet. The voice of God, tremendous 
trumpet ushering in this great month in which God was going to do something tremendous. The Day of Atonement. We've studied the Day of Atonement recently. This tenth day, when the high priest would call all of the people together, and then he would have there, uh, again, an innocent animal whose blood would be shed. He would confess the sins of the people over the head of this animal, transferring their guilt to that of this innocent animal. Then the animal had to die because that's what they deserved. Then he would take this blood into the Holy of Holies, into this innermost sanctuary of the tabernacle, and there sprinkle it on the Ark of the Covenant, covering the law of God which the people had broken from the eyes of a holy God. And God would be merciful to us. Mercy founded on law as his own son, symbolized by this lamb, would shed his blood for our having broken God's law. And then God would forgive us freely. It's a great day of atonement, picturing the work of Jesus Christ. Of course they should do no work on this day, because Jesus did it all. You can't add to what he did, sinner. All you can do is receive it and rest on it. Trust Jesus to save you as a free gift. But they must afflict their souls on that day. They must acknowledge their sin. They must come truly repentant, willing for him to change their lives, to make them into the kind of people he wanted them to be. It's a great day of atonement. That trumpet was a call, a call to be at one with God. Atonement means at one And God calls men to his feast. What are we told in the New Testament? We're told that God made his Son, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And that we are ambassadors of God. And it says, if Christ did beseech you by us, we beseech you in his stead. Be ye reconciled to God. Come to the feast. What is it a picture of? It's a picture of the gospel. The glad tidings going out to the end of the world, calling men to receive the atonement, to commit their lives to Christ and be at one with God. As a verse over in in the Psalms, it says, Blessed are the people who have heard and who know the joyful sound. We have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. That was that joyful sound calling people to the feast. Again, uh, there's the Feast of Tabernacles in verse 34. Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. What they were to do, they were to take palm waves, palm boughs, and wave them. Then they were to dwell in booths. This is spelled out in the 40th and 42nd verses. Ye shall take on the first day the boughs of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, the boughs of thick trees, and willows of the brook. And ye shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. Ye shall dwell in booths seven days. 
All that are Israelites born shall dwell in booths. What was this all about? It symbolized the wilderness state, the time that they had been in the wilderness, journeying to the promised land. In verse 43, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths, temporary dwellings, when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. They were to joy over their present status in the land. No longer did they have these temporary abodes. No longer were they in the period there of trial and testing. But they had entered into the promised land, and they were to joy over it. What's that a picture of? That's a picture when you and I have finished our pilgrimage and enter into God's presence in heaven. And the joy that will be ours in his presence there forever. Over in the book of Revelation, in the seventh chapter, you've got a picture of those before the throne of God rejoicing. Verse 9 of chapter 7, After this I beheld, says John, And lo, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Verse 12, Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Oh, the joy. It was also to remind them of the process by which they had reached that state, this process of Journeying through the wilderness, rejoice with trembling. We can see pictured the joy that awaits, but we can also picture, see pictured the journey that we're in right now, the process that leads to that permanent abode. Right now, we journey through this wilderness. This is not our home. We dwell in temporary dwellings here. We need to continually have this before us, and yet we rejoice. Even now, even now, we dwell, in a sense, in the land. Even now, we are in the heavenlies if we're Christians. We experience fellowship with God. We experience uh, some of what awaits us, even now. The sabbatical year didn't form a part of these feasts, but it was closely related to them. This is mentioned in the 25th chapter and in the 4th verse. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest under the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy fields nor prune thy vineyard. Every seven years they left the land untilled. And they set every slave free. And they canceled every debt every seven years. What was the purpose of this sabbatical year? One purpose of it was to remember the poor and the oppressed. God cares for the poor. Read through these passages and notice the concern that God has for the poor and the provision that he makes for them. He would have his people be conscious of how he feels about it, that it might go against this selfish spirit that characterizes mankind in general. But there was... Also, a further meaning, and perhaps this is brought out even better 
in the year of Jubilee, every 50th year was Jubilee. This is mentioned in the 10th verse of the 25th chapter, 9th and 10th verses. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the 10th day of the 7th month. Notice it was ushered in on this great day of atonement. The 50th year was Jubilee, and the trumpet sounded on the day of atonement. He says, Ye shall hallow the 50th year, and proclaim liberty throughout all the land under the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you. And another characteristic of this year, not only did they leave the land until, and not only did they set the slaves free, not only did they cancel all debts, but every man's inheritance was restored to him. What's that a picture of? That's the picture of the great day when the last trumpet shall sound and time shall be no more. The Lord shall descend from heaven from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ shall be raised. A new heavens, a new earth shall be ushered in. We will be restored to our proper inheritance. We will be restored to the house of our Father. And we will have an eternal, lasting portion. The land will have an everlasting rest in this new heavens and new earth when time shall be no more if we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Brethren, these things are tremendous. Notice how God would continually bring before us the fact of recognizing in everything, his hand. If we receive the bounty of the land, it's from him and we are to make recognition of it. We are to remember the poor because God is our God and he says, remember the poor. But more than that, we see here a tremendous picture of being reconciled to God. What it means to be set free we ought to rejoice over it every day of our lives. Our debts are canceled. Our inheritance is restored. And all of history is moving on toward that last great jubilee year when Jesus Christ shall come back and usher in the final state, eternity. What about you? Are these things yours? Have you been set free? Are you waving that palm leaf every day of your life as you think of what Jesus Christ has done for you? Are you rejoicing over him? If not, I would sound that great trumpet to you today. Come to the feast. Come, sinner, come, sinner, come, sinner, and be at one with God. Oh, he's given his son. He loves you. Be ye reconciled to God. Hear the joyful sound. How could it be, I challenge you, how could it be that these things were set up this way by Moses if God did not guide Moses 
in giving these instructions. How could it be that Moses picked out the very day of Pentecost, the very day of the resurrection and death of Jesus Christ? How could it be? God wrote the Bible through men. They recorded it right, and it's true. And God is calling to you today to acknowledge it, to delay no longer, come to the feast. Surrender your will to Jesus. Put your trust in Him today. If you'll do that, do it right now. Let us pray. And in your heart right now, pray the prayer that I pray out loud. If you want to earnestly and sincerely surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, I see Thou art the Lamb. I see Thou didst die for me. I want atonement with God. I want reconciliation. I have heard the joyful sound, and it is good news. And right now, I invite you to come into my life. Set me free. Give me this joy and this peace. Be my Savior and Lord. Amen.